This message is a later recording after our Sunday, April 28th message because some, we had a technical problem with the recording itself. So pardon me as we go through um, the message again and, uh, and touch on some of the, the main notes that are very important. Our text today is Luke 24, 13 to 35. And it reads, that very day, two of them were going into a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the one, the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, Yes, and besides all of this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. So they said that, the, that they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far, is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And while he was at a table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures and they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those that were gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I was at my child's school um, a while ago and a grade one boy came up to me and told me a very sad story about the way that his classmates didn't treat him very well and the way that he was picked on and didn't have any friends and you know, and, and he went on to tell me about the teacher and how the teacher was always mean to him. And there was, it was a very, very sad story about this grade one's experience at school. And uh, my position at the school allows me to, to volunteer in different classes and allows me to be involved in, in whatever's going on. I happened to be in that 
child's class a little while later. And uh, I, I, you know, didn't really think anything of it. It's not my place to really fix any of this. But as I walked into the class, I saw a couple things happen really, really quickly. The first thing I saw happen was someone was being kind to the very boy that was saying nobody was kind to him. And I just took note of that quietly and kept on doing what I was supposed to be doing in the class. And then the the teacher um, also came up to the boy and talked very nicely and very respectably to the boy. And there was no issue at all. And even the boy received what was said well and everything was was really good. And I realized that that children often can create false narratives based on their emotions, based on what they perceive at that exact second, it becomes absolutely everything. And this child had created and represented to me a false narrative that didn't represent all the facts. There was something that that I mean, the child thought that they had all the facts. They didn't. The child didn't go out of their way to lie, but the child had also created a false narrative. Um, there was something that that had happened. Clearly, that the child had had a bad day and felt the whole world was crashing down, and all of the facts in that child's mind aligned with those things. But then reality was something different for that child. So the disciples they were leaving Jerusalem. In this story that we just read, they're leaving Jerusalem because absolutely everything's fallen apart. They have no theological framework for understanding the possibilities of anything being different. Jesus, their their leader, the one they'd been following, the one that they had hopes in, had been killed. And there's no theological framework at this point for an individual momentary resurrection, not even momentary, but like in an exact moment of time, resurrection. There's no theological framework for it. Um, they don't understand anything except for the facts that they see. The facts that they see is Jesus is dead, the movement is over, and it's time to leave Jerusalem because their hopes have been shattered. And so, um, I mean, when you think about the the resurrection motif that we're so used to in our literary works, you know, someone dies and then they can come back alive. And, and you know, in, in English class, we, we actually call that um, a resurrection motif. It didn't exist in literature before Jesus. That wasn't something that was, you know, ever, these people, they just die and come back. So it was, it wasn't really in their minds that it could happen. So... They also, um, they also did have a resurrection theology. It was strongly debated, but it was also en masse. It was, it was coming out of um, a despair that, that there's no way that God could fix all the problems posing to Israel except for with a massive resurrection piece, with God intervening in a, in a catastrophic, a global way, removing all of the evil and redeeming all of Israel. So they have a resurrection theology, but it's not based on an individual experience that that wasn't expected it was it was also interesting that they that they couldn't believe the women of the of the testimony in luke 24 11 um the disciples thought that their initial testimony was an idle tale um and and then in luke 22 and 24 as we just read the they really struggled to believe in and some women told us something really um unbelievable and uh and so there's, there's this disbelief of the women, and Luke is intentionally elevating the status of women in this story. 
And that's a really important point for us to understand that Luke consistently does that. He, he elevates the status of women compared to where the status of women would have been in his day of writing to um, to what he sees and, and how he sees God using women. And I think that's that we could take a marker from that. So my question for us is, as, as the disciples are telling themselves this story, is, is there a story that we tell ourselves? Is there a story that, that we look at our factual situations and say, no, there's a problem here and we don't, we don't believe that, that any good can come of where we are? We're stuck. We, we believed in a promise that maybe God had given us at one point and now reality or quote unquote reality has come in and has made it impossible for us to believe that that could actually happen. There's there's such a thing as a creation of false narratives and and the disciples really bring bring this out right now. It's interesting because what the disciples tell Jesus on this on the road isn't wrong. They're not wrong, but this is so ironic because the disciples spend time telling Jesus about the narrative of his own life. The disciples are using all the facts that they have available to them and are communicating with God Almighty everything that has happened. And as the reader, we see this narrative and we we see both sides of the story and we're like, you're telling God all the facts when you don't have all the facts. And so we, in our own lives, we come to a point where we get disillusioned with a promise that God has given us. I mean, have you ever had a promise that God's given you that you're just like, that can't happen? And we tell God all the facts. We're not wrong, but we've created a false narrative because we haven't yet expected God to come in and do something. We're, we're, we're telling God why it can't work. And God is the one who says, can't you see that I'm here? Can't you see that I'm right here and I can do something in this? So how often do we do we just tell God everything that's wrong and why it won't work and we pack up our bags and we're going home? How often have we allowed our own narratives to be true and have failed to listen to scripture being opened up to us? And that's what it takes. The creation of true narratives takes Jesus to open up scripture to us. It's only when we read the Old Testament in in the way that Jesus tells them to read the Old Testament that we reach its natural conclusion where we see that Jesus is the resurrected man, God-man, who who will save all of humanity and, and that God's plan is faithful and trustworthy. Jesus opens up scripture to us in our moments where we're walking away from Jerusalem so that we can understand him differently. And we understand him differently than how the world understands him. There are many different narratives about about Jesus Um, in in the religion of Islam. Jesus is a great prophet. And in in Jehovah Witnesses, Jesus um, Jesus is the savior, but not god for a moralist they see jesus as um as a great teacher 
but they don't see Jesus as anything beyond that. From the Christian perspective, God shows us from Scripture how to read Old Testament, how to say this is the progressive revelation of God. So Isaiah 40 says, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, him or behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those um, that are with young. And so we see Jesus in this light that, that God has come in all of his might and he's ruling gently. In Isaiah 61, Jesus owns this in, in an earlier passage um, where he says, in the synagogue, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and opening the prison of those who are bound and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and comfort all who mourn. Psalm 110 says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion, your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. This is interesting because this shows that 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 the rule of God happens among those who are not believing. It happens among the enemies. It, it's not a whole rule and remove your enemies all at once. There, there's this tension, rule in the midst of your enemies. And Daniel says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and, as, and he came to to the ancient of days and was presented before him and was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So now we see that there is a not passing away. There's an everlastingness to this reign. There's an eternal salvation and that's really important for us to understand and wrap our heads around. So it was good that Jesus opened up scripture to to them, but it wasn't enough. See, we have in our ancient language, we have we have a way of, of speaking about this and we call it the word in the sacrament, but it means the word in the meal. In Luke 24, 30 to 31, we see that when he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. It's at the time when they took bread. If you remember Pastor John's sermon a couple weeks ago, he said that there's that there's a theme to the Lord's Supper. It's a meal, it's a deliverance, and it's establishment of something new. And what we see here is we see an establishing of something new, that there's deliverance, that 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 there is really a ruler on the throne. Um, and it's Jesus, and there's a meal, and it establishes it all. It comes together, and Jesus breaks bread with them, and their eyes are open, and they realize that that they had a false narrative. They have a moment where if this grade one student that I talked about at the beginning had a moment that that where he realized, oh, the whole class isn't against him, they realize that Jesus is not defeated, that the story isn't as bad as they thought it was. And what does that do to them? It says, we are going to return to Jerusalem, Luke 24, 33. And so as they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, they found the 11. 
So what happens is we come to a point where in our life, we have a narrative that gets corrected by God. When God says, I'm not done yet, he says, I'm not finished with what's going on. I'm not finished with your life. I'm not, the, the facts may, may look bleak to you, but let me reveal myself through the word and through a meal. Let me reveal myself in this relational moment and show you that I'm not done with the dreams and the plans and the visions that I have for you, that you are called to something greater. And so through that time of questioning, when we question our competency, when we question the facts around us, we have to look to God and the word and the meal and say, God, what are you doing here? What still isn't done? And then we have to pack our bags and return back to the vision, back to Jerusalem, back to the place that God called us. So it, in so many ways, we have to ask ourselves, what part of our story sounds just like the exact same as, as the way the world sees it? What part are we not looking at the at the word and the sacrament and the revelation of God in this moment and saying, you know what, God, you can make that promise happen. That vision is something that's within reality. How is your story encountering the person of Jesus in a way that transforms your life? The people on the road to Emmaus encountered Jesus in a way that transformed their life. They were headed away from God's vision, away from the, the promises of God in their life. Jesus met with them, opened up the word and, 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 and had a meal with them, and they turned immediately back to Jerusalem to brush off those promises that they thought, according to their narratives, had been broken down, and God's narrative said, it's not done yet. God is not done with your life and God is not done with us as Promise Church. He is working to build the vision of Promise Church and make it larger than you could have ever known and imagined. And so let me pray with you today. God, be with us as a church, be with us as a people for all those promises that we think that are beyond hope. We thought that maybe we think that they're childish fantasies or ideas that, that just come out of thin air. And God, I pray that, that we would see you through the word we would see you in our community of, of, of um, meals together, of sacrament, of Eucharist. God, I pray that we would see you in times where we come together and that you would give us a narrative that you are doing something far beyond the facts that we see around us. God, that we would, that we would have an inside look at those facts and be able to see you and your work. In Jesus' name, amen.